With a robust economy and low inflation, markets and economics are in a complicated era. WealthVest presents the Weekly Bull and Bear, a podcast dedicated to bringing financial professionals the most up-to-date weekly analysis of the trends and developments occurring in capital markets both here and around the world. Listen in as we analyze these developments and shine a light on the events that matter to us. Good afternoon, everybody. This is Drew Dockin. I'm here with Tim. Uh, before we get into what happened to the market last week, I'd like to start us off with some housekeeping. Uh, on July 8th, we'll be restarting up the podcast. Uh, we'll be taking next week off for the 4th of July and, you know, Independence Day. Uh, with that, I'd like to kind of put some color before we get our, you know, our conversation started today. Uh, what we saw last week was very interesting. Um, the Fed, you know, didn't cut rates. Uh, we still saw a rally. Um, we saw stock prices moving to some historic heights. And we also saw, you know, the U.S. Treasury drop uh, below 2% for the first time um, since November 2016. And, you know, so it's just a really, really odd scenario. Um, I imagine that, you know, we saw a rally because traders still have priced in the fact that the Fed will most likely ease. Uh, but that's just my two cents and thoughts on that. Uh, Tim, I'm wondering what you're thinking about the whole yep. scenario. Yeah, I mean, traders definitely got what they wanted to get, assuming you were long. Uh, you certainly got what you were hoping to get from the Fed. There wasn't much expectation that they would actually cut last week. There were some voters who did vote for a cut, um, but you really got language um, that supported the current view that we have, which is that you'll get three cuts this year. They'll cut in July, they'll cut in September, and they'll cut in December. Um, you know, we continued to get data this morning that confirms some of the other regional data. We got uh, the, a Dallas Fed number that was terrible this morning. Uh, that really um, confirms what you already saw from the Empire uh, and the Philly Fed. So, uh, and we continue to weaken. Uh, we've written a lot about how CapEx plans uh, have really fallen off, and you are starting to see a little bit more stress in the consumer by way of delinquencies going up. Um, but this market really is, I keep talking about it, I feel like we are at peak belief in the central banks, whether it's the Fed, the ECB, the BOJ, or the Mandarins of China. Um, we are going to continue to print money. Um, and, you know, you see one aspect of competitive devaluation in gold. Pull up the price of gold if you're in front of your monitor here, and it's taken off. We're making two-year highs in gold right here, uh, and it is steep. So um, there is certainly the belief that the Fed is going to be as dovish as they can be. Draghi's going to be as dovish uh, as he can be. The Japanese are going to do what they do. And the feeling is that if we don't get a resolution to uh, the China-U.S. trade talks at the G20 at the end of next week, and I, we think that the odds are less than 50-50 that you will, it certainly increases the risk that you'll see the yuan weaken. Uh, against the whole basket, against the dollar and against the euro. So, um, you know, we're printing money, and the market is looking at the second derivative, which is the central bank response more than they're looking at the, fa the fact that the economy is just really, really slowing. I would have told you, and I did tell people, that I didn't think the market would make new highs. I've been saying that over the last couple of months. Well, the S&P made a new high. Uh, on Friday, or was it Thursday or Friday, and I just continue to be amazed 
uh, how much faith there is, as I say, in that second derivative because of where we are starting from. I just don't see how it makes that much of a difference uh, what the Fed does at the short end here. Uh, people disagree with me. Um, I think it's kind of one of those things that anybody, uh, anybody's opinion is as good as anybody else's because I don't think anybody knows uh, what the impact could be. I have not heard anybody articulate uh, an impressive argument that, oh, yeah, this is going to really re-stimulate the economy uh, because, you know, we can take the overnight lending rate from, you know, two and three-eighths to two and five, one and five-eighths. I just don't see what difference it's going to make. That's my thought on last week, Drew. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, you brought up Draghi and how the ECB is more likely to be dovish. Uh, there's kind of a strange development um, on June 18th last week where Draghi announced that the ECB stands ready to ease monetary policy if the general economy does not improve. Um, and that created you know, quite a lot of contention with, with our administration and, and with you know, the United States Central Bank. Uh, so, I mean, how much of you, that do you think is them naturally following our lead, um, and is it just kind of a race to the bottom when we look at some of the major central banks across across the planet? Yeah, I mean, look, the currency is is one piece of it, right? I mean, it's not part of the Fed man, Fed's mandate to manage the currency, but they do, and so does the ECB, and so do the Chinese, and so do the Japanese. So, um, yeah, they want a weaker currency, uh, and you hear our president lamenting what the Fed has done as if they've been so incredibly tight and so forth. Well, on a relative basis, I guess they have been, right? <laughs> you know, there's not much room for the ECB to do much. They're going to try to cut 10 basis points and maybe create some kind of a tiering policy for the European banks, which are obviously struggling and having trouble making any money on a spread business. Um, but, yeah, it's a competitive devaluation. It is a race to the bottom. Um, and as long as other central banks are really, really, really loose, you know, unless we want to see the dollar really appreciate, um, we're going to be super loose. You know, I make the point every time 40 45% of S&P earnings uh, are in uh, foreign-denominated currencies or are, are, are earned elsewhere. And as the dollar strengthens and strengthens, that gets less and less profitable makes a big difference to the profitability of the S&P. I always feel like analysts on the bottoms up and underestimate the impact that the currency can have. Very few companies really hedge currency because in the end it's a bit of a zero-sum game. Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly right. And when we look at what happened last week, for example, the dollar fell you know, 0.47 uh, against a lot of our rivals and – it really seemed to take some of the hedge funds by surprise, you know, that built up, you know, large long dollar bets um, before the right decision. So, yeah. so that, you know, that, that, that is kind of a vexing issue. Uh, I'd like to move to um, overall business investment. Uh, there's been a couple of surveys. Uh, Goldman's equity analysts, you know, discussed the trade war um, escalation as having, you know, you know, very little effect on capital expenditures. Uh, they cited a survey of 15 different sector analysts. Um, but, you know, other banks have conducted similar surveys, and it's been, uh, you know, pretty pretty different from from that yeah. particular survey. Uh, I'm, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on what's actually happening when we're looking at, you know, capital expenditures? Yeah, you know, our industrials analyst uh, did some work recently uh, and she is estimating that CapEx for the names within her sector, 
which are the biggest uh, industrials companies of the world, think GE, Honeywell, 3M, UTX, is going to go from about 10% in 18. Remember, in 18, you had um, 100% immediate depreciation. That goes down this year and then goes down in the year ahead. Uh, so you probably pulled forward some CapEx in 18, so you had a 10% CapEx growth year. This year is going to be closer to 3%. So as I said, some of that might have been pull forward, but you're still seeing a hell of a lot less CapEx than you would expect to see when profitability uh, is what it is. So, dis so we are definitely disappointed in what we're seeing with CapEx, and CapEx intentions uh, we think are falling. So. Our strategists from, and our economists are seeing a much weaker CapEx, and that's one of the reasons why we took GDP in the back half of the year down as much as we did. We're looking for less than 1.5% GDP growth here for the second half of the year, and a lot of that is due to lower business investment. So on that front, from both bottoms up, our analyst level, and from the economist level, we would, we would disagree with Goldman on that one. Thank you. One interesting thing, um, I mean, I guess we, we didn't really bring this up last week, but I think we should have because, uh, you know, we're looking at talking about big companies, big capital expenditures. I mean, one sector that's I feel like is going to get the hell regulated out of them might be the tech industry. Um, you know, last uh, congressional committee, you know, had an investigation on June 11th uh, on that same day. You know, there's about a dozen state attorneys that are expected to do something um, similar and you know a lot of states are currently suing to block a 26 billion dollar merger between Sprint and T-Mobile. I mean when we look at you know Fang stocks and just how much of you know our valuations are tech I mean what are the political ramifications going to be and is this much to do about nothing or you know are we seeing uh, some changes right now? Man it's hard to say. I I would put uh, I would put Sprint T-Mobile in a little bit of a different bucket. Um, we are restricted, so I'm not going to talk about individual names and certainly not ones that we're restricted on, but that really is more something where the concern is directly um, at, you know, at, at, at what is a big bill for everybody. Hell, my AT&T bill is tremendous every month, but i got too many kids. Uh, but it is a real cost issue uh, for the consumer that gets directly related. So. On tech regulation overall, you know, I think one side of it is pretty political. Uh, one side of it is the fact that a lot of tech billionaires are in California, and they tend to donate money to one side of the political spectrum, uh, and they tend to be in a state which is a 100% total loser for the right. So uh, I think that does encourage some of the um, – uh, some of the energy towards regulation in the tech space as yet from a bottoms-up basis for our guys who cover uh, those companies, call it whatever, Amazon, Facebook, Google, so forth, Microsoft, haven't really seen anything that looks terribly threatening. The regulations on um, uh, that took place in Europe, and I'm not going to remember the name, the name given them, there was some thought last year that it would have a, a meaningful impact on Facebook. That hasn't been the case. So, you know, we'll see where the 2020 election goes, um, and we'll see what comes out of some of the investigations. But I think that the break up the big 
uh, internet companies is something that's probably a pretty long ways away. That's just my guess and not a particularly educated one, but one more based on uh, just kind of the political realities of these things. I mean, look, these guys have a say. These guys, uh, you know, they have the money to lobby, and you look at the history of the healthcare industry, the tobacco industry, and so forth, lobbying works. That's all I, I would say on that front. Yeah, you bring up, uh, you know, the European elections, and uh, it kind of makes for a good segue because right now the gigantic, you know, elephant in the room is, of course, uh, what's going on in the U.K. Um, I was reading the news today, and, of course, there's, you know, a slew of candidates with uh, Boris Johnson seeming to be the favorite. Um, today it appeared, you know, he hasn't apologized for an alleged altercation uh, against his current girlfriend's. Uh, which has added more chaos to uh, kind of what's been a dumpster fire, quite frankly, since since the <laughs> vote happened. Um, so uh, I'm just wondering, you know, one, you know, if Boris Johnson seems to be, uh, you know, he'll vote for a hard Brexit, um, and I think that's likely. So I'm wondering what your thoughts might be on the U.K. election. Does this change anything? Um what do we see Boris Johnson doing, you know, if he if he takes the top spot, and uh, what's the future look like for for Britain and, and the United and uh, the European Union? Um, oh man, I say our guys trying to make predictions around all of the votes, all of May's votes, everything that's gone on in Parliament. Uh, would the would the left ever, you know, would they ever join forces and get something done uh, to have a more um, organized exit and an, uh, and an agreed-upon exit, uh, <clears throat> our guys haven't been able to figure it out. We haven't been able to get it right. And, you know, guessing what's going to happen in, in politics is difficult. So I must say I think I would look at it uh, from a bigger picture perspective and just look at what you've seen in Italy with Salvini and certainly what you're seeing in the U.K. with a guy like Boris Johnson who – you know, I think they look across the ocean and look at our political process and kind of raise an eyebrow, and we do the same when we see Boris Johnson. But it looks like he's going to win. Nobody else on the right seems to uh, be that much of a threat to him winning. The Tories seem to be willing uh, to go uh, with a hard Brexit. Um, I think a lot of it will get priced in fairly quickly. You've already seen just over a long period of time uh, the FTSE actually do very well. And the reason the FTSE's done well is because so much of the earnings is from Europe, and as their currency weakens successfully, uh, it's helped the the earnings power of uh, a lot of their a lot of their home countries, uh, a lot of their home companies. Um, so I just think it, you're going to see more populism, as you see. Uh, it's just one of the things that happens when you get a real economic bifurcation in societies, and we talk about wealth bifurcation in the United States, and all the Democratic candidates are talking about it, um, but both sides of the political spectrum can talk about it. Uh, and one side can say we need uh, the Democrats who, or the left in the UK or Europe or in Italy would say uh, we need more government assistance and a deeper social safety net and maybe universal basic incomes, things like that. Whereas with the right, you see, well, no, this really is about uh, globalization. It's about immigrants uh, taking jobs and suppressing wages. So you'll see populism on both sides, and I think ultimately you end up with a weaker and worse political process in, our, unfortunately, some of the world's most developed democracies. And I think that's a long-term negative uh, for, for, for markets. 
uh, capitalism needs good democracies. Uh, and unfortunately, I think you're starting to see weaker democracies uh, in the United States and Europe and across the developed world with, the, with really the growth of populism. And you'll see that populism on both sides. Yeah, I think that's right overall. I guess I'll point out one major um, example to the contrary just happened the other day, of course, which was Turkey, uh, which yep. was, you know, pretty radical to see uh, Erdogan leave after, you know, 17 years in power. So whether that is, you know, just an anomaly right now in the current, you know, geopolitical environment or if that's, you know, starts starts a trend, um, we'll, we'll wait to see. Um, in terms of what's going on next, this week, actually, uh, you know, we we're expecting the G20. Looks like she's coming. Um, you know, there seems to be some good chatter in terms of maybe, maybe they have a deal uh, this week. Uh, then there's also been another development. Uh, the Supreme Court, you know, uh, went against a lot of steel manufacturers who, um, you know, have been addressing the constitutionality of the steel tariffs. So those remain in place. So from a general, you know, perspective of our ongoing uh, trade issues we have with China in particular, uh, what should we look for at the G20 and, um, you know, kind of what's, what's your overall outlook? You know, it's anybody's guess. I, I, you know, I think it's hard to be uh, optimistic. What you see from uh, the state media uh, in China is that we're not going to do anything until they roll, out all, roll back all the tariffs. I think, you know, the fact that we're still putting Navarro on TV, kind of the most hawkish of the uh, kind of the, the trade delegation for the United States, you know, Lighthizer's leading it, but the fact that Navarro has still got the president's ear and the, that Navarro is still, uh, they're still putting him out there in public means to me that they are in no way, the U.S. is in no way looking to take a step back, pull, uh, pull tariffs, as a precondition to talking. So the market tells you, the market's smarter than me, that's for damn sure, and the market's telling you that there's reason to be optimistic. Uh, you know, who knows? Hell, I think, still think the Mets have a chance of making the playoffs, so maybe I'm unrealistic and can <laughs> hang on to my beliefs for way too long. But I don't see what we're so optimistic about. The president continues to tell you all the reasons why he likes tariffs. I continue to believe that the president thinks that the tariffs are not just a means to justify an end, but an end to themselves and a return to mercantilism and an, and an ability to, to, to use, he believes in using um, tariffs as a long-term tool to bring jobs back to the United States. Um, so I don't think he's looking to uh, be terribly conciliatory. I think the Chinese can play a very, very, very long game, and that means that they can look past 2020. Uh, and the harder ball they play, the tougher it is for the United States, the tougher it is for their economy, but, the t but Xi's not running for re-election in 2020, and Trump is. And I think they would look at it and say Biden or any of the other people would be more likely to work um, in, a tr in a multilateral way through something like TPP or, 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 or something where you would work directly through the WTO uh, and you'd have a, you know, an overall position less difficult to deal with uh, or an administration just simply less difficult to deal with than the current president. So uh, I, I'm not particularly optimistic that they're – really going to be able to get something done. 
but they'll probably come out and say, we had great discussions, they were super constructive, and we're going to keep talking. That would be, I, I think, the most likely outcome. But again, the market seems to be you know, more positive, and generally when you completely ignore the market, um, you know, you've got to be careful. Well, there was a second part to your question there, Drew. I think that covers it. It was just okay. more in general, you know, what we're looking for. And, um, you know, of course, uh, you know, I, and I, I brought to light about kind of what, what our thoughts are on the Supreme Court's decision with steel tariffs. But um, oh, Right, right. You know, the one, the one thing I would say on steel tariffs is take a look at the, look at the chart of letter X. I mean, letter X went up when we first announced those tariffs. It has done nothing since then. That stock has been down and to the right. And one of the things you realize is, you know, there are unintended consequences. And one of the things you do is when you create a higher price umbrella, when you create higher pricing artificially through tariffs, what you do is you allow the mini mills, the names like uh, Steely Dynamics and Nucor, um, to add capacity. And that long-term has a negative impact for the integrated guys. The, the, the mini mills will always have a price advantage. So it just allows them to make enough money to keep adding capacity that puts the integrated guys in a, in a bad situation longer term. So, you know, I, I don't know if this is lost on the administration, but the steel tariffs have not helped letter X, and I think that was the point. I, I guess – Kind of keeping to the you know the general global spectrum, uh, we had you know a major some major developments with Iran uh, last week. Um, you know we're talking about adding sanctions today, but we're also uh, discussing the possibility of having discussions with no preconditions. Uh, there's been some movement in oil, but quite frankly, maybe not as much as people would have thought. Uh, you know Brent crude was trading at, you know, a little over $65 earlier. Um, you know, you have some analysts who don't think we're going to have a huge price in, you know, oil spikes, but then you have some that uh, think we are going to have over $100. Um, it, it just kind of reminds yeah. me, there's this really good book, uh, Prisoners of Geography, where, I mean, the big contention is that, you know, we talk about politics, we talk about economics, but so much of it is just, destiny almost in terms of just something as matter as simple as geography. Uh, I mean, yep. the Strait of Hormuz is, you know, it's got yep. about a third of the world's seaborne oil. Um, so just just the mere geography is, you know, very vexing. It's like almost something, you know, written in stone for there to be contention. Uh, I'm just wondering yeah. what you think. Uh, I mean, one is, can we take the situation down? Or when we see, I mean, oil spikes, uh, obviously that's going to affect, you know, manufacturing, heavy industrials, mm -hmm. companies like Caterpillar. Um, I mean, wh what are your thoughts on, is this going to be dampening growth or is this going to be kind of like a, a serious situation in 2011 where it was very temporary and then, um, you know, things went back to business as usual? Um, I mean, impossible for me to know what uh, this administration with the hawks like Bolton involved want to do. Uh, the instincts of the president um, certainly seem to be to avoid um, a conflict with Iran. Um, you know, you talk about certain things being destiny. I, I just, I have a hard time thinking it makes a lot of sense for us to get involved in the 
centuries-old battle of Arabs versus Persians, of Sunni versus Shia, and try to pick winners in a global fight. And it certainly looks like that's what we're doing as we cozy up more and more to Saudi Arabia against uh, Iran. It's, you know, it's hard to pick the good guy in that fight, I guess would be my perspective. On the oil side, don't forget, we are... Uh, very close now to being a net uh, exporter of oil. Uh, we, we, we produce a tremendous amount of energy, and then we, we, our biggest importer is from Canada. After that, it is Saudi Arabia, so it will have some impact on us. You know, to some degree, there's a competitive advantage. Uh, you know, you see WTI at 54. I think you said Brent is around 64, 65, and we also then have very, very cheap natural gas. So when you have oil expensive uh, in Europe and in the rest of the world and in the Middle East, uh, and they're using naphtha, uh, which is an oil product, uh, to generate products, chemicals and plastics, and we're using natural gas, anytime that differential goes up, that's good for a lot of U.S. manufacturing and at cost advantage for our chemical companies and big conglomerates and so forth. Um, so I guess I would say I have no idea uh, what will happen in terms of whether or not we strike Iran. It will have less impact on oil prices on WTI than it has historically. Uh, it will create the bigger differential between WTI and Brent, um, but it's just, it's just impossible to know. I, I would certainly hope that we can avoid having any kind of a war with a country that, while its leaders are who they are, they're very young, and it's it's kind of the it's 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 a very young population. It's a well-educated population. It's a young population that, just like here in the United States and in Europe, is less religious. So I just I would be loath uh, to see us in a in a really meaningful contract and turn that whole U.S. population against the United that whole young population uh, that isn't you know. Um, entirely indoctrinated, that is more educated, that has more uh, of a view of the whole world via the Internet, I would just, I just hope. Uh, it's not a prediction. It's a hope that we can avoid conflict there. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I think I'm in the same – I'm definitely in the same boat. Um, I would be, you know, if, if, if you know, it's, it's one of those situations where, like, North Korea, uh, we – don't really have, you know, open lines of communication. So anything we do discuss with the Iranians might have to go through, you know, Oman. Um, but, you know, kind of having a haphazard, you know, tit for tat, us saying one thing and then, you know, going back and forth like like's happened in North Korea, I think would be uh, better than any, you know, escalation alternative. So maybe we see yep. that um, be a lot more global stability uh, that way at least. I mean, I guess the last kind of topic that seems interesting is, um, I mean, Jerome Powell seems to be in a little bit of hot water. I I just kind of like to discuss why why do we think that is, and um, and uh, you know what's what's next for Jerome? Do you think there will be kind of maintain a level of independence, or are there going to be more calls to uh, potentially push him out? Yeah, I, I get the sense that he's going to be okay. I get the sense that. Uh, he's got pretty thick skin, uh, that he's going to serve out his term. Uh, I would be surprised if um, the president could get away with any kind of action uh, to try to demote uh, Powell or move him out. I just don't think that would fly with uh, the mainstream within uh, his party and certainly not uh, with the mainstream on the left. So 
I think Powell will serve out his term. I don't think he's feeling a tremendous amount of pressure. Look, you know, he's being he's being pretty damn dovish. I mean, I just think it shows you how bizarre the world has become to to say that the Fed has been too hawkish. Uh, you know, for a while, remember, we were growing pretty fast, and we were and and uh, uh, you know, PCE uh, inflation was pushing up towards two percent. So, I, I don't think the Fed uh, has been relative to the rest of central banks in the world irresponsible would it would it if I, if I was president of the United States would I want a fed uh, as dovish as absolute possible and let the inflation be somebody else's fault in, the, in in 10 or 20 years I sure would but is it the right thing to do for economic policy no I think the fed's pretty much done about what the playbook says they should do yeah I mean I think I'm definitely in agreement there uh, well you know it appears like we've uh kind of lapsed about half an hour here. Um, so I think, you know, this is a good place as any to wrap up the call. Uh, thanks again for your time, Tim. Uh, we're going to continue to push these podcasts out. Remember, the next one we will record on the 8th, drop sometime later uh, that week. Um, so for all of you out there, um, all the best and have a great Independence Day. Thanks again, Tim. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the hosts and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of WealthVest. The mere appearance of content on the site does not constitute an endorsement by WealthVest. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. WealthVest does not make any representation or warranties with respect to the accuracy, applicability, fitness, or completeness of the content. WealthVest does not warrant the performance, effectiveness, or applicability of any sites listed or linked in any of the content. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.